0: And welcome to Health Fact Versus Fiction, brought to you by HCA Healthcare UK. I'm Anna Richardson, and this is the podcast where we uncover the truths and bust the myths about your health with some of the country's leading consultants. talking about the health of your gut and how to stop it becoming a right royal abdominal pain. How do you avoid your bowel becoming irritable. We're talking to TV presenter Zoe Salmon about how she's lived with IBS for over 20 years, a little later on. But with me throughout the podcast is Alistair Windsor. Alistair is a specialist colorectal surgeon and widely regarded as a leader in his field. He's smiling, rather knowingly. He runs a practice at HCA UK's London Digestive Centre. Alistair, hello and welcome. Well, this programme is all about busting myths. I hope you've been briefed on this because we are going to try and uh, do some fact versus fiction here, Alistair. So can you tell me please if the following statements are health facts or health fiction? So stress and anxiety can trigger issues with the gut. Fact or fiction? Fact.
1: Absolute fact. Yes. Okay. Try that one.
0: Some bacteria and over-the-counter probiotics are killed before they actually reach the gut. Fact or fiction?
1: Fact, true.
0: <gasps> no way. True. Everyone should cut gluten out of their diets because it's bad. Because it's bad for us. Fact or fiction?
1: Fiction on that one. Definite fiction.
0: We'll get into all of that very shortly. But first of all, I want to start by asking you: You, you are um, a, a leading surgeon and a leading consultant in your field. So, what is the most common issue? that people tend to present with in your clinic?
1: But um, varied, I guess. So, so as a surgeon, we see a lot of surgical issues, which are really not the purpose of today, but a lot of digestive issues. Um, and I guess you split those into patients who've got organic disease, something you can diagnose, see on an x-ray, treat with medicine and all of that. And then this huge spectrum of other disease, which is irritability, functional bowel disorder. Um, and that's the one which which I guess is not, we don't see it as an organic disease and therefore um, there's nothing I can do from a surgical point of view. But a huge problem for many patients, we'll hear from Zoe, I'm sure a huge problem for many patients.
0: Uh, is that very difficult for you and your team to to diagnose and, and, and cope with? Because as you say, it's not necessarily something you can see on an x-ray.
1: <clears throat> no, but I guess that what we're trying to do, we're trying to rule out organic disease. So that's so in an elderly population, perhaps you want to rule out whether they've got polyps or they've got malignancy a cancer in a younger population is this and is it an inflammatory bowel condition things like Crohn's and colitis so a lot of what we do to start with is saying well actually let's check that this isn't something organic that we can treat along the lines of sort of normal medicine um, if it's not uh, an organic problem then how are we going to help this patient mm. and and it's such a spectrum of disorders that we really need to there's lots and lots of ways there isn't a single tablet that's the problem there isn't a single treatment so it's working out lifestyle changes dietary changes medical things that you can do, some medicines that you can do and other sort of ancillary medical side of things to try and improve quality of life improve symptoms and things like that.
0: So actually to try and help somebody that that does have uh, that sort of non-organic disease, an inflammatory problem you're talking about a long form kind of holistic um, approach aren't you? A sort of 360 degree approach to what's going on. and
1: and I think you know it it depends on the presentation, very variable presentation so so some may have a lot of diarrhoea some a lot of constipation um, a lot of abdominal pain, a lot of bloating, and you kind of target those areas to see if you can work out what you can do. Some people respond very quickly. Other people are a little bit more difficult. Their their, their disease is a little bit more uh, recalcitrant, I suppose, more difficult to treat. So it's a spectrum.
0: How much does your emotional state affect your bowel and your gut, would you say?
1: Um so, well, there's no question that it does, and I guess it works both ways. We describe the gut-brain axis, um, and anybody that's ever taken an exam will remember that when you, just before the exam, you start to get nervous and you start to get GI symptoms. So you get the the butterflies, the sort of colicky feeling, you get urgency you have to rush off to the loo. Yeah. So there's no question that that, um, that will influence your gut activity, even in health. Um, can it actually trigger disease, um, and can it make your disease worse? Yes, and I think there is truth in that. So, so things like irritable bowel syndrome are triggered by life events. Now, that may be a stressful event. Very typically, it's you're away on holiday, you have a diarrheal illness, you get whatever the local um, dose of the runs is, and your bowels are never the same afterwards. Other people, they're triggered. Not everybody, but can be triggered by a stressful environment, a stressful moment. So that can trigger that sort of disease. We don't think it triggers things like Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, but it will certainly make your symptoms worse. So patients with organic inflammatory bowel disease, they flare, they have problems in stressful times and I'm sure so, I think, you know, stress does change your functional symptoms. Um, and so there's very definitely that um, link between the brain and the gut.
0: Well, can, can it work conversely that actually what's going on in your gut can affect you mentally?
1: Yes, um, and in a slightly less obvious way, I guess, and perhaps a little bit more um, uncertain in terms of true science, but we, we live with this thing called the microbiome. So within us, there's a huge number of bacteria, and they say there's a trillion bacteria for every gram of stool, so that uh, mostly living in the colon, um, but also living throughout the gut. Um, and that you, so you're colonized with your microbiome after birth, um, and it's very important to get that microbiome in place very quickly. And a lot of studies done on what's called germ-free animals, so animals that are born and bred in a germ-free environment that don't have a microbiome. And you can see that there are associations with all sorts of medical problems. So the, the one that's relevant to today, in a way, is that if you don't grow your microbiome early, it appears that your visceral sensation, in other words, pain in the gut, is much more Your gut is much more sensitive so could it be that because you weren't colonized early that actually in irritability you get a lot more pain related to that so there's there's work done on that so there may be something in that other diseases like asthma it's very true that unless you colonize the gut early then increased risks of asthma and things like that Um, slightly more um, sort of uh, as at the moment not as scientific i suppose is looking at depressive disorders People who who don't appear to have again from the germ-free animals, if you, you can see that the germ-free animals do have mood problems. Now, whether that's a true cause and effect, it's difficult to prove. What do you think? Uh, I, uh, I hedge my bets I guess I, I, I think um, there's going to be some the microbiome is hugely important our interaction so if you imagine our interaction with the outside environment it is, is much smaller than our interaction with what's going on in the gut so hugely important what goes on in the gut um, and I guess the last thing is Alzheimer's is the latest that neurodegenerative disorders there's some evidence that if your microbiome isn't right then there may in the long term be problems with neurodegenerative disorders now again it, it's not fact at the moment it, it's one of those sort of in process we know that there are changes that happen in people with, with Alzheimer's disease whether it's cause or effect is very difficult to say.
0: Well this is fascinating I think to look at our sort of gut garden and how it affects us physically I like and garden. mentally the, <laughs> the gut garden. The I gut mean garden. For, for you as a scientist and as a medic this must be uh, really interesting surely
1: Well yeah I mean it, it's it's sort of interesting and obvious I suppose so my big interest is inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease and, and we know that it's that interaction with the gut antigen so it's the proteins in the gut microbes we think that are that are that are stimulating this inflammatory response, which creates the, the ulcers, which creates the disease. And if you look at, for instance, in Kuwait in the Middle East, where there was no Crohn's disease years ago, um, and now because of probably changes in diet, changes in environment, changes in travel, that there's now a huge increase in people with Crohn's disease in the Middle East. So they have the genetic makeup. They just didn't have the environment. They didn't have the right gut garden, if you like, which has been changed because of changes in in modern living, in in, in dietary changes and environmental changes. So there's clearly something in it. Um, It's what's in it and how we can affect that.
0: Well, we will talk a little bit more about um, our our gut garden, but just stay with us, Alistair, uh, because I want to bring in my next guest, Zoe Salmon, is best known as a former Blue Peter presenter. And of course, for her appearances on Dancing on Ice, (laughs) amazing. But for over two decades, she's been living with irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, a condition that one in five of us is likely to suffer from at some point in our lives, which is extraordinary. That seems like a very, very high percentage. So, Zoe, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for, for, for coming on today. And you were 16 when you first experienced IBS, which is terrifying. What happened?
2: It was terrifying because It was something very unknown to my body. I remember at the time I was working in a retail shop, just getting a little bit of extra money after school. And I just started to double over. Abdominal pain, cramps, spasms. And it is so scary because I did feel like I was quite a young adult. Um, I've never really had any illness before. You know, the common cold maybe picked up a bug at school or whatever. But for me you know you get something like that and you think what's happening am I dying you know you're very naive you're not familiar with anything like that ever happening to you and my manager called my parents they came and got me I remember going home spending the whole evening in the bathroom just in so much pain the spasms would come and go so they would be there and then the next thing is you think oh actually no I'm fine I feel okay Mm -hmm. and then no it would happen again and you know you think an hour later this is going to be okay and then it would go on and on and I remember just spending the whole night in the bathroom and I got that release at the end where it was like a double release you spoke earlier on about the constipation diarrhea and I know symptoms are different for different people but I had a mix of everything and so I got that release at the end and then I felt okay again but to have to go through all of that pain and
0: confusion and especially at 16 how quickly was it before you realised
2: Oh, got the diagnosis, this, this is IBS. It went on for a long time because, of course, then initially I went to my doctor after that and, you know, he told me to avoid maybe takeaway foods because he was concerned that maybe it was a reaction or, or an intolerance to, say, monosodium glutamate, mm. which is very common in Chinese, Indian type, you know, Asian takeaway food and whatnot. And so I thought, OK, well, you know, maybe if I, you know, I'm having food with my friends at the weekends, I just steer clear of that but then it happened again and, and, and so then I knew it wasn't that and it is a case of trial and error and ruling things out and there was even one stage and I feel really guilty about this all these years later where maybe a couple of years after that first incident that I spoke about I was out with my friends and we were just a normal restaurant and I came home that night and again I was ill for this went on for 12-14 hours same symptoms as I described before and I remember phoning the restaurant and saying you gave me food poisoning and and I was convinced that's what it was and and so you do you go through all these different things because the symptoms are so relatable to other things like oh is it an intolerance to such yeah. and such um is it food poisoning um is it just that i picked up a bug so and you do and it's awful because there's so many people that might think oh my goodness i've had those symptoms for years but i thought it was just because i picked up a bug or i thought it was food poisoning and it is that case of you might have to go back to your gp on many occasions before you finally do get that diagnosis. Because I think, to be fair to GPs, they don't want to you know, give you that diagnosis, diagnosis straight away mm, and mm. they want to rule things out. And, you know, of course, from your field, they want to rule out that it's not something more well, serious sinister. as well, yeah. that it isn't something as sinister as Crohn's disease. Um, but but even, even so, even if it's
0: not an organic disease, as you were saying earlier on, it's still something that's incredibly inconvenient, very painful, very unpredictable, and sort of misery-making.
2: It is. Honestly, I know this sounds really dramatic, but you see, when I do have the flare-ups, I actually call them attacks because I just feel like my whole body is being attacked. I literally feel like I'm dying. And I I know that I don't say that lightly, but I I feel like the pain is so intense. It's excruciating. So
0: how has it affected your education or your work? I mean, it must have done...
2: I have to say, I have been so lucky because not only am I an IBS sufferer that doesn't suffer on a daily basis, I will get these flare-ups and yes, they're excruciating and they're horrendous and I wouldn't wish them upon anyone, but I have been really fortunate in that they seem to happen when... I'm, yes, I, the first time it happened, yes, I was at work. But I've never had it interfere with a job or anything. It seems to happen like when I'm on holiday or when I'm over at a friend's house or when I'm out for dinner. Like It never seems to happen when I'm in the studio filming. But I think it's because I have that awareness, because I know how unpredictable IBS is. And I'm very aware of how I've had to change my diet and lifestyle. And so I've ruled out certain things. Um, you, you, people talk about trigger foods when they talk about IBS. And there's certain things that I think may trigger it for me, which I know not to eat. And I tend to have a very plain diet now. So if I am, you know, on a filming day or on location doing something for a few days, I'm very, very conscious of what I'm eating. And I am very lucky because I'm aware of that. So and well,
0: well, well, tell me, I mean, how have you changed your diet and your lifestyle? Well,
2: it's like what yourselves were talking about earlier on with that holistic approach. Um, I try and exercise every single day day. So that helps. I, I really do feel because I think when we're talking about stress and that brain and gut connection, I do feel that when you exercise, of course, you know, it is a real stress reliever. And I do feel that that goes some way to w- being one of the factors that can help against IBS. And again, I think things like just having a full proper diet, like I will cook everything from scratch, everything fresh, and I won't have sauces. Everything's plain. I might put some seasoning or maybe some turmeric or something but I, I keep everything really plain which is why when I go out and I have meals with my friends in restaurants, I'm so scared of what I order because yes, you see what you're ordering on the menu but you don't know what all these other secret fancy things they put in to make it taste really delicious and so I have to be really careful. I always say to the waitress or the person serving the waiter, whoever, uh, listen could you make this as plain as possible? I know that salmon or whatever food comes with that, but could you just cook it plain for me? And could I just have the steamed vegetables and not with the butter? And, you know, I'm very, very careful when I'm out because I've been out for dinner so many times where I've just had to leave the dinner table halfway through and get a taxi home. And that's a good story. But just... So, so am I right in thinking that you had an attack of IBS when you were coming
0: back from Panama, is that right?
2: Yes, and that was one of the most recent um, events. That was, i just finished filming um, The Island with Bear Grills and we were out in Panama. And I mean, there's nothing like the luxury of your own bathroom to be ill in. Yeah. And so when I'm, at, I'm out for dinner with my friends and this happens, at least I can get in a taxi and go home down the road. But... I was out in Panama. We were getting the flights back to the UK, but we were going back via Amsterdam and I nearly missed the flight in Panama because I was literally on the floor in the toilet um, of the of the, of the airport. And it got to the point where, I mean, I literally, because when you go through the spasms, my body just springs out in this most horrendous sweat, like I'm literally dripping. And then when I'm coming out of the spasms and I'm sitting there waiting for the next, you know, spasm to happen, I'm cold. So. Going through it hot and cold, and I'm just I was. I remember I was so hot in, in the airport toilet, I was lying on the floor because it was tiled and I was trying to get cool. And I, I was texting the rest of the, the, the Bear Girls Island team saying, I don't think I'm going to be able to get on this flight. And you know, and everyone was sort of at the toilet doors. And, and it's awful because you can't even speak, you're in so much pain. This is They're, horrific. I mean, it's... Al, is, is this a familiar story to you?
1: I, I think you know, Zoe clearly got very severe. The, the, the pain side of yeah. things the bloating the cramp side of things are very severe the sweating is classic because that's part of that enteric system it's called the vagus nerve and it makes you sweat so when you get those big build-ups of the of the cramp then you get the sweats and everything else so I think what you're describing is clearly one end of a spectrum many people will get pain but they'll get pain they manage through um, but that's the difficulty with IBS it's very unpredictable and that's what makes it very difficult and I'm, I'm interested to hear that you get your symptoms when you're away from work, many people get the opposite. They're away from work, they're relaxed, their symptoms are better. But you're obviously very controlled in terms of what you eat and drink when you're working so that that's how you avoid it. So this is, it's a very typical story. It's a real problem. And it's it's the unpredictability, I think, that probably makes it so difficult.
0: How common is IBS?
1: Well, as you were just saying, I mean, it depends on what, so there are definitive diagnostic criteria to diagnose IBS. But many of us will have a background of IBS. I and mean, we will recognise that we get variability and certain things will make us uncomfortable give us a bit of diarrhea give Mm. us a bit of colic and cramp so you can probably mix that in amongst it so it's very common your one in five is probably about right so
0: I I think I'm sort of because I don't I'm fortunate I don't suffer with IBS but of course you know I've had food poisoning and I've had things that aggravate my tummy so I'm just trying to really get my head around this what causes it
2: That that for me is the most frustrating thing with having IBS. And I'm one of these people where because I've changed my diet and lifestyle to try and help with the fact that I have IBS, I... I think that I am, on the whole, quite a healthy person. You know, mm. I do exercise. I drink nothing but water apart from the weekend. I might have a little tipple. You know, but I, I'm very good with you know all my fruit and veg and everything is made from scratch and and I feel like I have the right levels of, of you know healthiness if you like it in in my life. And so when I do have an attack, I feel so disheartened because, as you say, well, what does cause it? And and I just think I stop and I think, well, what was I doing? today? What have I eaten today? What has caused it? What was different about what happened today? And often I can't even work it out. Um, I mean, I have to say on the whole, it will be because... I have been out with friends and I have eaten something that I normally wouldn't or even though I've asked for something to be prepared as plainly as possible maybe that has aggravated it or to be fair on the stress level front if I have had a really busy week and I haven't had enough sleep and people underestimate the power of sleep and I think and sometimes I stop and I think well actually maybe you didn't sleep too well last night and you did have that earlier on and you know and so I start to reason with what it could be and I have to So you
0: you know your yourself and your body incredibly well I mean Al how how would you answer the question then that that what does tend to cause it. I think
1: what Zoe's just saying is multifactorial and it's a combination of things, it's small little bits and pieces that add up to, to stimulating what's going on and and it is unpredictable and and you may be right, a little bit of sleep and a little bit of this, and a little bit of that is probably what's what's uh, triggering it. I mean and don't but, but what you're doing is clearly very important because all the other things, the whole foods, the exercise is pretty very good for you in many other ways so I mean I, I think people do get disheartened that they've tried very hard and yet they still get the attacks but don't belittle what else is going on in your life that's pretty good anyway Um, but I guess it is multifactorial and it may be that you never find out and it may be it's not just as simple as a trigger Mm. that there's a lot of other things that are involved and somehow you have to kind of ride through that with a little bit of help and I'm sure you have strategies of what you can take and what you can do when things are difficult and bad.
0: Well for everybody listening let's talk about good gut health and how we practice good gut health. So How do we do that, Al? I mean, we'll talk about food and drink in a minute. But first of all, let's start off with probiotics because there's such a trend, isn't there? Mm -hmm. To, you know, take the yoghurt drinks or, you know, go to the local health store and, uh, you know, buy a jar of probiotics and keep them in the fridge, etc., etc. Are probiotics any good?
1: Um, So... um I'd split that into people who have a, a health problem and are probiotics worthwhile in them and people who don't have a health problem. So in probiotics, I would argue that there is very little evidence that probiotics in healthy people who've got a stable microbiome, in other words, if you're well with a normal microbiome, does anything. So, if you think about what you know, what what is it in the in the in the probiotic? So, we're getting live bacteria. So, first and foremost, is the live bacteria surviving the gastric acid of the stomach? And many of the live bacteria that you get in many of the products gets killed by a pH, you know, very acidic um, environment in the stomach, and the bacteria are killed very quickly when they no. get there. So you need to be sure that those bacteria that you're using your probiotic are going to be the right ones.
0: Well, how how do we ensure well, th- that?
1: There's enough. That, I mean, there, there's a lot of research done on what, and, and most of the probiotics will have um, will have you know on written on them whether or not you know they're, they're they're obviously there and the bacteria are going to be the ones that will survive. But I think that the spectrum of probiotics that are available nowadays is pretty wide. So just be sure that you're get, if you're going to use it, use something that's reasonable and recommended. I think how many bacteria do you need? And we've already heard that you get a trillion bacteria per gram of, of stool. So you need a lot of bacteria in your probiotics. But even if you take a lot, a lot of bacteria, it's still almost it's a drop in a bucket of water. It's a tiny amount compared to what's actually inside you. So the thought that taking those probiotics in health is actually going to make any difference, I think, is, is, is questionable. Um, the other thing is, what bacteria um, should you take? Multi-strain bacteria? Should you take a single strain? And again, we really, really don't know. But in 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 disease, so there are one or two situations where probiotics are probably very useful in neonates, in, in small children with a with a condition called enterocolitis, a very serious condition. There is good evidence, really good scientific evidence, that probiotics are lifesavers in that they really make a difference. Um, in IBS, interestingly, there is good evidence that people who've got problems with 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 certainly with wind and bloating, that taking a good quality high dose high colony forming units um, probiotic will it will improve those sorts of gas symptoms I mean it's the bacteria that are making the gas so if you change those bacteria in theory you should be improving I, the well, situation. I was
0: just going to say can you change your gut garden can you change that flora? Well
1: there's a question then we don't know so the thought so that the whole idea is colonization resistance that when when you get a colony of bacteria in an environment because of lots of them they muscle everybody else out the way so that if you've got a colony of bad bacteria and this is slightly simplistic but true but this is the the theory if you've got a colony of bad bacteria if you load that with an even bigger colony of good bacteria theoretically by colonization resistance you can push those out the way and therefore seed your gut with with better bacteria is Is the theory so, and is and that
0: the, something you would do with your patients?
1: Well, I think it's something to offer and it's one of those strategies. Um, so amongst all the other things that you're doing with your diet, that with, with your health and your fitness and all the rest of it, then that might be. So if bloating is a problem, it's certainly worth a try. The difficulty, of course, is because of the unpredictability, when do you take the probiotics? Do you take them all the time? Do you take them for a couple of months? Do you take them here, there? How do you, how do, you do it? That's the
2: problem that I had because I was taking something that I did believe was working. But then because I'm quite fortunate that I don't suffer daily and I would only have a few flare-ups a year that I, I started to take them every single day and I'm one of these people where if I have a headache I won't even take a paracetamol. I just am very holistic. Your body will sort of self out, leave it alone, eat healthily, exercise, get enough sleep. So... It bothered me that I was taking these probiotics, which there was nothing wrong with them. I thought that they were doing a great job. But a year later, and I thought, let's just come off them and see how we get on. And so I agree with you. I found that really difficult because I thought, well, when do I stop taking them? Do I take these for yeah, the rest of difficult. my life? and Or do I just take them when I get a flare-up? Do I take them from that date onwards for maybe a few weeks? Or,
0: but but th- th- this is the thing. Surely if you're going to change your gut garden and you can potentially change your gut flora so you take the good guys in the good guys are meant to colonise the bad guys aren't they
1: that's the theory so but you, then you
0: don't need to keep on taking them
1: no i suppose not and i think mostly we take them in courses of about three months the classic example is if you're taking antibiotics a lot of people get diarrhea related um antibiotic related diarrhea and therefore the theory is that if you take a probiotic in and around the time you're taking antibiotics then you should reseed it's difficult scientifically to prove that, but people do find that that helps. And so that's the sort of theory. So you don't take that forever. You take it for a period of time after the antibiotics. But then as Zoe says, you know, you then get another flare two months down the line. And what do you do? Do you go and get another course? I guess, you know, that's a difficult one. It's, it's you know, how often are you going to take them? When are you going to take them?
0: Do you take probiotics? At I help?
1: don't take probiotics, no. Oh, have yeah. I ever taken probiotics? I would honestly say I have in the past taken probiotics, um, but no, not on a regular basis. Well, Talk specifically
0: about diet then and food. What should we be eating then to protect our gut?
1: I think not so much protect our gut, but what's a healthy diet? And I think that the key to a healthy diet is exactly what Zoe's been talking about. It's whole foods, cooking from scratch, going to buy your vegetables, going to buy your fresh meat and your fish, going to buy the fruit. Um, it's all too easy to stop at the garage on the way home from work, he says guiltily, and then buying <laughs> buying the processed food. And and and, and I think processed is, again. I mean, apples are processed; they're picked from a tree, and what? But but this is chemical processing. The, the processed food that we worry about is chemically processed. Mm. So there's additional sugar, there's additional salt. Um, you, there's all the additional things that you may be sensitive to. Um, the colorings, the flavorings, the, the the texturing that gets added to these um, the, these foods. The trans fats and all that they do the vegetable fats creating inflammation and all of that so I think there's really good evidence that too much processed food will give you problems with diabetes obesity and all those other things that were heart disease that we worry about so you can have your bad days everybody's allowed to curry now and again and all of those sorts of things there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but the background of a balanced diet has to be a whole full balanced diet cooked fresh um, and all the usual recommendations of which you know five portions of fruit a day and all those things well, that we at, know about. at
0: least talk to me about Going gluten free and mm. you know being wheat free as well and dairy free, uh, there's such a huge fad at the moment, isn't there? For for us to say I, I I'm I'm gluten free. Um, do we really need to be gluten-free? Does, does, it, does it affect our gut? I have,
1: you have to look in the supermarket and look at the choices in the gluten-free aisle. And it's very difficult, isn't it? It's, not a, it, it's, a, it's a difficult diet to keep up with proper gluten-free. Um, there are people who are truly gluten-sensitive. So people who have celiac disease have a real problem with gluten. They end up with inflammation in their gut and they end up malnutrition and all those sorts of other problems and other issues with health so they can get cancers and all sorts. So there are a group of patients who really need to avoid gluten. Um, There are a group of patients who are gluten sensitive, and and I don't know where those are, you are gluten sensitive, but who find that when they eat wheat and and wheat bread and all those things, things, their, their irritability is exacerbated. It's made worse and it's very obvious. And if they cut out wheat, if they cut out gluten, they feel better and they manage better absolutely nothing wrong with that. That would be a very reasonable to be one of the strategies that you use for your irritability to improve it. But the thought of somebody like me who doesn't have IBS, particularly who doesn't have um, celiac disease, am I going to benefit from cutting out gluten? No, um, there's no great benefit in it. It's unlikely to do me any harm if I want to cut out gluten. And if I feel self-righteous and feel better for so doing, that's fine. But I, I think it is one of those things. We never talked about gluten 10 years ago. Gluten has suddenly become a big thing. So I think there's a spectrum there. Some who definitely need to cut it out, some who benefit from it and do cut it out, and others that do it because it's part of drinking the two litres of water and oh, taking the vitamins.
0: Sorry, look at Al with his perfect gut. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Do yes, you, my family you, might say different. So just as a final thought, what would your top tips be for all of us in terms of getting our gut healthy if it isn't already. What would you say to the average Joe?
1: I think I would follow Zoe's regime, I think. I think it's it, it's it's being a bit understanding, first and foremost. So understanding what we've been talking about, how important all of that is. Um, not be too fatty about it. And I think there's nothing wrong with being a little bit fatty. And particularly if you found something has helped, there's nothing, and we, we often ask patients to do, or, or people to do exclusion diets. So try a bit of, try wheat without wheat, wheat without lactose and see what happens. There's nothing wrong with that. And if that improves your situation, that's fine. I do think the whole foods is important and I know we're all guilty and I'm the worst of, of picking up a takeaway on the way home or, or, or something from the garage you can stuff in the microwave. Um, my wife interestingly is completely the opposite it's all whole foods and healthy and cooking and I think that's hugely important. Aligned with all those other healthy things so plenty of hydration but don't go mad and um, plenty of exercise and all the other things that we know. Avoiding this whole sugar rush um, being careful about the fizzy drinks and all those sorts of things is probably very important too. So it's all stuff that we sort of know um, and it's just keeping up to it is is the difficult bit.
0: And Zoe, what would you say is, as somebody that that suffers but actually clearly has a good reign over her symptoms, what would you advise somebody to do if if they thought that maybe they had some problems with their gut or possibly
2: they had IBS? Just to try and keep your food as simple as possible. And people always think, oh, simple means boring, but it doesn't. You know, there's plenty of lovely spices that are really healthy and they're, you know, anti inflammatory, such as, as I said earlier on, turmeric is brilliant for that. Um, you can flavor your food, but in a healthy way. You don't have to load it with all these sauces, with all these um, sweeteners and preservatives and things that might, you know, aggravate your gut. So I think just cook from scratch. Find something that keeps you really fit and active and helps, you know, lower the stress levels, but it doesn't have to be oh i'm going to the gym it's boring and definitely that part of it as well as the eating is just equally as important as the sleep as well so sleep food and exercise that's my advice (laughs) effectively it's
0: take care of your garden you know the garden that lives inside you you're you're a living breathing organism so tend it well absolutely Absolutely. look
2: after your garden grow your garden well
0: (laughs) Alistair Windsor, Zoe Salmon, thank you both very much for joining me today. And if you want more information on what we've talked about in this episode, go to the show notes, which you'll find at hcahealthcare.co.uk forward slash podcast. And when you're there, just click on the name of the episode, Getting to the Guts. Now, while you're here, why not click subscribe on your podcast app to receive more episodes, like this one, absolutely free when they're released. And if you could also take a second to rate us or leave a review, that would really help others find the podcast more easily. Health Fact versus Fiction is presented by me, Anna Richardson, and as a Bengo Media Production for HCA Healthcare UK.